Hello, this is Daniel Mounter from the podcast Englishman in Montreal, returning to you for season five, episode four of my more regular podcast, which has been touching on various places in and around the UK. For this episode, I'm going to be looking into a much more specific trip which I've done into the country of Wales. And it marks a little change, not a huge departure from how this season has been going, but a little change into the way I'm doing these podcasts. Um, instead of doing it specifically for foreign tourists or for the benefit of those who want to visit the country, I've decided to keep this going on a more anecdotal aspect um, because in feedback from people I did come to a certain amount of conclusions about um, how people listen to this podcast most specifically um, if my podcast is with the sole aim of providing like a tourist guide for somebody visiting the UK a lot of things will have changed since I experienced them. Um, some of the places may not even exist any longer, or those that do may have changed out of all recognition. So it's going to take more the form of a suggestion for a place to visit or activities to do based on my experience. And I would like to add this cautionary disclaimer that these places are experienced through my eyes as a native to United Kingdom, not necessarily how a tourist would see them. But the take home at the end is going to be whether certain people can find common ground in the things they enjoy and the things that I've enjoyed. And I hope that by sharing that, people will get some ideas about visiting this country. Um, also, there is a lot of duplicate information which people could get just as easily by Googling or checking out Street View or by visiting places themselves or just by hopping on the internet. And I'd just be duplicating this info if I provide a um, even an in-depth guide to places that I know quite well. The thing is my experiences from the UK are based mostly on times longer than 12 years ago and in today's very changing climate a lot of these places are going to have changed out of all recognition. So for my cast about Wales I have various things to explain but the first thing is important to note that this is not really a tourist guide to the place and it's more about the train trip than the final destination which is the town of Aberystwyth on the West Wales coast. Specifically it passes through so much of the UK that it gives a great snapshot of the country and how extremely varied the landscape is and 
bearing in mind that it's possible to take an even longer trip than I took on that occasion. This route takes in literally from the far eastern coast of the United Kingdom in England to the Irish Sea coast in Aberystwyth in Wales. So I'm going to go through a quick resume of the journey from Peterborough where I picked up the train and take the listeners across a short trip to the west coast of the country. When I mentioned Wales, I found a lot in Canada especially. Although there are people who know of the existence of this country, very little is known about it, which is quite remarkable because there's quite a few settlers in North America from Wales. I found it especially relevant when I was describing to the fellow students in the Francization program as um, in French it's very different uh, it's described as Pays de Galles country of the Gauls and I realized then in trying to describe this trip in French that um, the knowledge that many people had of this small part of the United Kingdom was really limited and obviously there's a lot of stereotypes especially within the UK about Welsh um, if you asked a typical English person to maybe list some words that describe Wales they might describe the language which is a a separate language a separate entity all of its own which was preserved by the BBC for one thing but also carried on by generations of people it's a very ancient language and it's about the only place in the UK where you can see bilingual road signs and labels in shops and things so it's quite an interesting experience in such a small country as the UK to find that there is this whole country where there is another language spoken as well as English and which runs alongside of English comparatively well considering Welsh is not a modern language exactly and it's not spoken by um, a very large minority of the entire population. Other words that come to mind would be sheep. <laughs> the Welsh landscape is quite mountainous and mostly covered with pasture it doesn't lend itself to cultivating many crops especially in central Wales where the train journey passes through so cultivating Welsh lamb has been a, a huge industry for for the people of this country and there are many many unsavory jokes about Welsh people and their involvement with sheep but not many people mock the amazing flavor of Welsh lamb. I do apologize to the vegetarian listeners among you. Um, but having come from the UK, when we enjoyed fresh Welsh lamb that had never been frozen, and um, which has been fed only on grass and herbs that grow in the mountains, 
Coming to Quebec, where the sheep are fed mostly on pellets and kept indoors for several months of the year in many cases, the difference is unfortunately very, very visible. And the flavour is quite something else. We'll, we'll not touch on that subject too much in this podcast. Other things that come to mind are mountains. Um, Wales is marked mostly by the generosity of uh, mountain peaks that there are there. People mention also the industry which formed the more built up and industrial cities in Wales, um, particularly the coal mines. Um, people think of collieries and colliery bands, the brass bands of Wales, which are justifiably famous. That industry has somewhat slipped out of relevance in recent years, but the coal mining has left a huge mark on the country. Um, it's possible to see a great deal of unspoiled country, of course, traveling through it, especially where the pastures have been preserved. But the collieries have left huge scars on the landscape as well, and on the people too. Another factor which is perhaps stereotypical of the Welsh is their love of and ability with music. Um, not only in the Welsh language, but in English too. There are many famous singers from Wales. I'm not going to list a bunch of examples, but from the colliery brass bands to famous singers who were born in Wales or trained in Wales. The human voice has always been a huge aspect of Welsh culture that kind of sets it apart from the more bland English culture. So those those factors all um, come together to present quite a rich country, especially culturally, where the government and media have made quite good attempts to preserve the culture of this place. So coming from the flat, pretty much featureless area where I was born in Peterborough, a train trip to Wales seemed a good way to discover much more about this country, even though it was only going to be a day trip. So I want to talk a little bit about the route that the train takes. It's possible to travel literally from the east coast of England all the way to the Irish Sea coast in Wales, which is the destination of this trip, in one day. Um, you can actually get a train at Sheringham in the Norfolk coastline of England, travel across the flat featureless fens, which were the feature in last podcast, all the way to the mountains and rivers of the Welsh coast, all in one day. And from a train, you get a unique perspective because even as a regular driver, you get much more chance to enjoy the countryside than you would from a car. The only downside being is that you have to pass through a lot of cities and a lot of built up areas and you don't get the choice where to make a stop. So this, uh, this is very much as a spectator type of trip. 
and the journey could begin in theory in the flat fenlands of East Anglia. My trip began in Peterborough in the East Midlands of England and the train is just a little two-car unit which does the entire trip without changes although there's a brief terminal stop in Shrewsbury in and out. So it begins in the flat and rather boring city of Peterborough really early in the morning and it's a nice experience actually traveling out of Peterborough once you're out of the city limits. Um, the train goes into some of the most chocolate box type scenery imaginable. It goes through the counties of uh, Leicestershire and Rutland and I particularly remember because the train was passing in the early morning it's quite a nice feeling seeing all the um, the cars of commuters stuck at the level crossings on their commute into the city whereas my day was just starting with a beautiful sunrise and you get a unique view from the railway which you don't really get so much from the roads because a lot of the wild animals have got uh, suspicious of roads or avoid them especially after daybreak so as the sun was coming up over the Rutland countryside and we're passing through Stamford which I later lived in we saw things from the train like the mist lifting off the rivers and the little valleys and a fox doing his morning rounds lots of little cameos that you pass by on the train and that the um, the wildlife by and large ignores so traveling through the the Rutland countryside was a nice experience at that time of the morning as you approach the Midlands of England um, things become less pleasant especially uh, nearing Birmingham which is a, one of the first major stops of this train and there is no station that I recall from the UK quite so busy or as unpleasant as uh, Birmingham New Street unless you're a fan of modern trains so passing through this you about the only scenery you get is industrialized landscapes and tower blocks built-up cities for quite some time and passing out of Birmingham as, well, Birmingham as well you experience more or less the same thing but once you're outside of the limits of the big cities like Birmingham you start to head into the Shropshire countryside and then things become a lot more pleasant again it's a lot more like Wales itself the architecture starts changing and there's a lot of buildings which go right back to Tudor times or longer the landscape shows a lot of traces of cultivation dating back to before the Romans um, also the the system of farming the fields in strips is clearly visible because of the way the fields still hold their profile hundreds of years later with all these ridges and uh, little checkerboard patterns so coming into Shrewsbury you realize that you've entered a different part of the country and the, the landscape is a lot more green and the buildings are by and large almost entirely 
more historic. The style is a lot different too, especially if you're comparing it with the East Coast. So a Shrewsbury stop would actually be a nice thing to do if the option was to continue with the train on another day. Unfortunately, it wasn't an option on the trip I took and the train literally pulls into the station then pulls out into a southwest direction so you don't get any time to enjoy the architecture of that beautiful historic city. As soon as the train leaves Shrewsbury and approaches the Welsh border you start to realize this is the real Wales that uh, you've seen or read or heard about and the most noticeable thing was um, huge flocks of sheep scattered out over the hillside all these little white dots some of them uh, running away from the train but mostly they're quite blasé about the train it's just that on that line particularly the train doesn't pass very often so um, they haven't become quite so accustomed to it and the the mountainsides start to climb higher and higher the train goes through quite a lot more tunnels and uh, you realize that the landscape's been hollowed out quite a lot to make way for the for the railway line although it runs parallel to a road for quite a long way it's very evocative of um, the west of Canada where the railway line was the only thing for a long time cutting through all of the wild countryside and again like in Rutland very much like in the Fenland too, the railway gives a really good perspective for wildlife lovers because the um, the animals and birds approach the railway a lot nearer than they might dare to say in the city. So traveling through Wales, first you travel through a large mountainous landscape and you come to realize that there is a lot more water especially as the railway starts to follow streams and a river and finally pulls out into an estuary the light changes as well I find that the light isn't equaled anywhere compared to how it is in Wales especially nearer the coast where there's a bit less rain it really lends itself to to beautiful portraits but also with the green the landscapes are so beautiful out there then finally as the train rounds a corner so to speak in the estuary you can see that you're you're really finally at the western edge of wales and start to approach the the final destination of this train trip which is aberystwyth now being on the train you're isolated from things like the road signs so you don't realize the <laughs> the border has been crossed effectively I think if I remember rightly the train does pass by a border sign somewhere on the road but there's no there's no stop no customs or anything like that at this point anyway so when you step off the uh, the train in Aberystwyth in the historic old station which is a terminus it's quite a shock to hear people speaking a completely different language and you'd be, be very forgiven for seeing the Welsh language written 
and not suspecting that it's the same language that's being spoken there. There's lots of D's and L's and Y's in uh, written Welsh, but they're not pronounced exactly like that. So it's quite a shock getting off the train and hearing these, um, this different language being spoken, let alone seeing signs everywhere in another language. And in a sense, it was kind of a precursor to coming to Quebec in Canada, where not only are things bilingual, but they're predominantly in another language. What did we have in mind for Aberystwyth? Well, this is one reason why I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to go into too much detail of what to see because having the constraint of trying to do this in a day trip on a train meant that we had a very limited time to spend in the town itself. So the only things we really experienced was the um, very historic funicular railway that runs up the mountainside just on the town limits. And that was quite an experience just by virtue of its sheer age. It was more than 100 years old when I visited a good 20 years ago. And to the best of my knowledge, the railway still runs. I was going through my slides and I found numerous pictures taken from the top of this funicular railway. At the top, there are beautiful views of the Welsh coast of the town, looking down the mountains looking across to Ireland, across the Irish Sea there, just to quote the song. And it's somewhere you could spend a long time at the gardens at the top of the railway there. There would be lots of trails that you could enjoy starting in the town itself. And also for fans of railways, especially steam railways, there's the Vale of Rydal rather unique narrow gauge steam railway which runs from Aberystwyth all the way to Devil's Bridge which takes in even more dramatic scenery waterfalls and steep mountainsides that you don't even see from the mainline train that would be a good excursion to take from the old town itself what else did we have time to do not very much actually after having taken the funicular railway ride up and down and taken a stroll along the seafront enjoying the gentle Irish Sea which is a lot more peaceful than the Atlantic by the way seeing the ferries coming out of Dublin and headed for Liverpool after having done that there wasn't much time except just to enjoy a bit of the old town and that's somewhat disrupted by it being a university town so there's a lot of students about in term time. And there was, even at uh, two, 2 in the afternoon on a weekday, there was a lot of reckless <laughs> behavior going on on the seafront. But the, the seafront houses are beautiful Victorian terraces. And the town itself merits a lot of browsing in the antique bookshops and the beautiful preserved buildings there that would definitely merit a much longer visit so it's an area I really hope to visit again that really resumes the entirety of this trip into Wales it was culturally speaking it was quite an eye-opener for me 
having been raised in a very narrow culture. And I was lucky to have the company of my friend and his parents. And his father was Welsh in origin and always very, um, always very determined to, um, to push pride in his culture, something which we actually laughed at him for, but in retrospect, wasn't a very nice thing to do. And I really want um, those listening to this podcast to come to some kind of an appreciation of this beautiful part of the United Kingdom, which merits maybe a bit more attention than people have given it in the past. It's also a little known corner of the United Kingdom, but I think it's one which gives rise to some of the myths as well. Um, from people who regard the people of Britain as rather backward or the country as a whole being a rainy, grey and gloomy place. But I can say categorically that having paid a visit to the Welsh countryside in early summer we didn't get rained on once and about the only annoyance um, of the entire trip was the hideous noise of the seagulls in downtown Aberystwyth that made it almost impossible to hear anything except the local Welsh accent. So this has been a bit of a departure from my regular podcast routine. I'd like to know your feedback about how this episode comes across. Um, it took a lot less planning. It's a lot more ad-libbed than my regular ones. But I think the descriptive and anecdotal type of podcast is probably going to be the route I'll be taking from this point onwards. I'll be pleased to answer any questions, by the way. If, um, if you have a question that you'd like to appear in the podcast, feel free to send it as a voice message if you're using Anchor platform. And I will be pleased to incorporate it in a future podcast. That is, if you're happy to do so. For next episode, I'm going to be uh, moving to the other end of the country and running a short piece about Dover, about the Kentish countryside and the southeastern extremity of the UK, which is still its main link to Europe. For now, this has been Daniel Mounter from the podcast Englishman in Montreal, and thank you so much for listening.